All right, good morning again, saints. So this morning, if you have the notes in the, uh, the bulletin, guess what we're going to talk about? Oh, you guys are just on it. So let, let me ask you this. How many times have you or I said or at least thought that if we could be one of Jesus' original disciples, walking with him there, hearing his words, watching him in action, that that would be like the greatest thing, that, that there couldn't be anything. I mean, that would, that would radically change us. Have you ever thought something like that? I have. What could possibly be better than that? And yet Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So if you understand those words, Jesus is saying that it's actually better for us if he physically departs, if he's not here with us. He's telling them that having the Holy Spirit is better for them than having him physically there. It's to your advantage. Going away is going to be better for you. I mean, that's not how we think. That's just totally different. And he starts that, he starts that phrase with, I tell you the truth. I mean, he's emphasizing this is really important, guys. You need to get this. You can bank on this. Me going away is going to be better for you in the long run. But again, that just goes against our normal thinking. That's not how we think it ought to be. We think that having Jesus physically, visibly with us is the end-all, be-all, and Jesus says, nope, having Holy Spirit is better. You're gonna be better this way. Jesus, in his physical state, could not be in us. He couldn't even be with us, certainly not all of us, all the time, every place, but Holy Spirit can. He can be in you. He can be with you. He can be in me, with me, wherever we're at, anytime, all the time. I remember years ago, our family would travel. This is way back before GPS, so those of you that are younger wouldn't really understand this illustration, but, um, sorry. Uh, there were times that we'd get lost. You know, we, t- typically we'd make it to the, the town or city where we're going, but when, once we get there, it's like, where exactly is this church located or, you know, whatever. And so, unlike most guys, I actually stop and ask for directions. You can ask my family, that's true. I stop many times and ask for directions. And I would get directions from this person who knows the area, and then I'd get back in the car, and we'd start off going exactly where they said, or at least exactly what I remembered they said. And a little while later, I'm stopping and asking for directions again because we're lost again. You know, what would have been really ideal is to have that person who really knows the area get into the car with us and say, all right, let's just go down the, okay, a little further, right, right here, turn See, that would have been a whole lot better. And that's what Holy Spirit does for you and me. He's in us. He's with us. He's guiding us all the time. Not long ago, I read an interesting book by a man named Alan Kraft. The book is entitled, More, When a Little Bit of the Spirit is Not Enough. Alan Kraft said this, The spirit that Jesus promises will have a similar ministry as he had among them, with one crucial distinction. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Whereas Jesus' ministry to them had been external, a relationship among people, now the Spirit's ministry to them will be internal, the Spirit of God living in them. And we need to recognize that He is in us. He's with us all the time, guiding us. 
Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher, he said this, there are many choice gifts comprehended in the covenant of grace, but the first and richest of them are these twain, that's two in Old English for those of you that don't know that, the gift of Jesus Christ for us and the gift of the Holy Ghost to us. The first of these, I trust, we are not likely to undervalue. We delight to hear of that unspeakable gift, the Son of God who bare our sins and carried our sorrows and endured our punishment in his own body on the tree. There's something so tangible in the cross, the nails, the vinegar, the spear, that we're not able to forget the master, especially when so often we enjoy the delightful privilege of assembling around his table and breaking bread in remembrance of him. But the second great gift, by no means inferior to the first, the gift of the Holy Spirit to us, is so spiritual and we are so carnal, is so mysterious and we are so material, that we are very apt to forget its value, I, and even to forget the gift altogether. Wow. And he's right. We have a tendency to just space that. I mean, Jesus, we, you know, it, it's, to me it's obvious. We can understand Father. I mean, that makes sense to us. We all had an earthly father. Many of us are fathers. We've known a father. We can understand son. We get that concept. Those are, those are concrete, tangible terms. But a Holy Spirit? That just seems nebulous to our minds. And we have said that throughout 2019 that exercising the gifts of the Spirit is an important uh, thing for us as a congregation. So it seems to me that if we're going to do that, then it's incumbent upon us, it's important for us to know a little bit about Holy Spirit. That make sense? Okay, so that's kind of where we're, we're going today. There's, there's almost 300 verses in the New Testament that talk directly about Holy Spirit. I think that's pretty mind-boggling. And before we get into this, I, I want to I want to talk to you a little bit of uh, uh, something that I've heard as I've traveled. I don't think it's a big deal here, but some people talk about the Holy Spirit as though that means a, 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 a force or an influence, like, like it's some kind of, of cosmic persuasiveness that when we get close to it, it begins to affect us. But if you look at the words that Jesus uses there in John 16, he says, if I go, I will send him to you. Him is not a force. Are you with me? Him is a person, okay? Now, I don't, again, I don't think that's an issue here, but I want us to be thinking biblically about this whole issue. All right, I touched on an idea in my last sermon that I want to kind of bring back because this is important for us to recognize in the context that we're talking about here today. Jesus, during his visible earthly ministry, did things in the, way, in the same way that you and I have the opportunity to. And that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, very first verse and following. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Jesus gave commands through the Holy Spirit. If Jesus, in his post-resurrected state, was relying on the Holy Spirit to guide him as to what to say and what to do. How much more do you and I need to do that? Let's go back to Jesus' own words in Luke chapter four. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Listen to all these great things that Jesus is doing. Proclaim good news to the poor. 
proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, set the oppressed free. But how is he doing all these things? The spirit of the Lord is on me. Are you with me? It's exactly the same way that you and I are, have the opportunity to do things. I mentioned a couple of a moments ago that, that there's almost 300 verses in the New Testament that talk directly about Holy Spirit. But you know that almost 20% of those are found in the Gospels? All right, no big reaction there. I, I get excited about stuff like that because, here, think about this. If you don't have the modern tools that we have, if you don't have a, a concordance, you don't have a thesaurus or, you know, the, the, or no, uh, looking up the tools to look up words in the New Testament or in the Bible, but you, do know, you know something about the Bible, you know. If you want to go find verses in the New Testament about Holy Spirit, where are you going to go? 1 Corinthians, that's a good one. See, I'd be going to the book of Acts. I'd be going to several of the letters. But I wouldn't really think about going to the Gospels because that's not so much about Holy Spirit. Are you with me? And yet in the Gospels, there's nearly 60 different times where Holy Spirit is directly referenced. And a lot of those are simply because that's how Jesus worked. He worked with the power of the Holy Spirit on him just like you and I have the opportunity to. Jesus did what he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want us to get that point because it's really important. You and I have the same opportunity. You know, theologians said that Jesus set aside his divinity. He was working by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have that same Holy Spirit. We have the same opportunity. So if you understand that, that's kind of, in some ways to me, foundational to to something that I think is, that, that I really want us to grasp here. And that's that, the Holy Spirit's aim is to bring the kingdom of God more fully, more completely into the world. He, he wants to establish it more firmly. He wants it to spread during our lifetimes, during all of time, all right? So if that's gonna happen, how does he do that? He just kind of breathes on the world and it happens, right? No, he works through, guess who? You and me. The Holy Spirit working through us, that same Holy Spirit that was on Jesus, and he's establishing more firmly, more completely, his kingdom here on earth. See, if, if you miss everything else that I say, make sure that you get that point because that's what Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to work through you and me, through our lives to help establish more firmly his kingdom. The kingdom of God is where? Inside you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is inside you. And he wants to bring that out and change the world as a result of that. So I want to, to that end, I want to give you a little bit of, I think, kind of foundational teaching that's going to set up everything else that I'm going to say. I would say that many here, maybe most of us, have received what we would refer to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's easy when we have received that, that we have the idea, well, I have everything that there is necessary to have of the Holy Spirit. And in one sense, that's true, but that's not the whole story. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, it says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The NIV says by the Holy Spirit. So we can't even acknowledge his lordship except that Holy Spirit empowers us, uh, enlightens us to be able to do that. Are you following me here? So, So we can't even really become a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit. So if you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit. 
With me? Okay, so uh, fast forward. Do you remember after um, uh, Jesus died and was resurrected, the the apostles were uh, gathered in a room, the door was locked, and all of a sudden Jesus appeared there. I want to see that video, I really do. Uh, But... um, Gosh, that would be so cool. Uh, but but he, all of a sudden, he appears there in the room, and he says, peace to you, and he says, I'm sending you out. But what does he say after that? John 20, verse 22 and following. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now, we know that this is not what we would refer to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because that came later, all right? And they already had a dimension of the Holy Spirit apparently because they were followers of Christ. They were acknowledging that he was Lord. So is this a different Holy Spirit here? And, and, then, and then you remember uh, the, the, what we call the, the, the day of Pentecost when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is that? Uh, Acts 2, 4. Uh, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait, wait, didn't they receive the Holy Spirit when Jesus breathed on them a little, you know, a few days ago or whatever it was? Is this, again, is this different Holy Spirit? Or, 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 or think about when, when Stephen gives his great monologue right before uh, they stone him. And scripture says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Why is it phrased like that? But he, full of the Holy Spirit? I mean, presumably, Stephen already had the Holy Spirit. If you backtrack a a chapter before this, in chapter six, um, uh, uh, Stephen, it talks about how how he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. He could only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So clearly he has the the, the Holy Spirit. A couple verses later, some people didn't like what he was doing and saying, but they could not withstand the wisdom and uh, and the spirit with which he was speaking. So it was apparently common knowledge that Stephen had the Holy Spirit. Okay? He was doing these great miracles. People couldn't withstand because of the spirit that, that was on him. He, people knew this. So why here in chapter seven then is it redundantly redundant to say that, that he is full of the Holy Spirit? Unless Stephen wasn't always full of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Um, t- the same thing in, in, in Acts chapter four, Peter it says, uh, Acts 4, 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. This was, this was after Pentecost. This was after Peter pe- preached his great sermon where 3,000 people come into the kingdom of God. Peter was there in that room when, when uh, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. G- uh, Peter is clearly a follower of Christ. He has the Holy Spirit. And yet it says here, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter has been mentioned several times prior to this verse and never with this description, but all of a sudden now we see Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is that necessary? Unless, like Stephen, Peter isn't always filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you following me? Apparently, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a one-time permanent thing. Pastor Nick used to like to say we leak. And I think he's right. See, it's too easy, I think, for those of us who have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit to think, I've got it all. I've got everything necessary. I'm done. Don't need anything else. But that's just not true. Ephesians 5.18, Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, says, be filled with the Spirit. This is a letter to the church, a bunch of Spirit-filled Christians, 
to be filled with the Spirit. And the, the, the Greek word for filled is in the second person plural form. It means y'all, all y'all. Be filled with the Spirit. We need to be filled apparently over and over and over again. All right, so we've established that being filled with the Spirit is not a one-time permanent thing. We need those regular fillings, kind of like filling your gas tank on a regular basis. So keep that in mind as we move forward, all right? Because that's kind of, uh, like I said, foundational to what I want to share here. Let me ask you this. Who here likes to wait? Wait in lines, wait at a stoplight? Yeah, that's kind of what I figured. Okay, good. Um, so I'm not the only one, which is, which is good for me. There was apparently, there was a, a, an article in the New York Times several years ago that said that Americans spend 37 billion hours every year waiting in line. I did the math, that's 113 hours for, per year for every man, woman, and child in the nation. I'm pretty sure that statistic would be lower if I wasn't included in those numbers because it seems for me like I'm always waiting in line. Uh, I have a tendency when I'm waiting in line, especially a very slow-moving line, to look at the other people there in line and say, you guys, I'm sorry, this, this is totally my fault. Whatever line I'm in, it just always takes the longest. And, and that's not actually true, but it does help diffuse the, 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 the tension toward the person up at the front of the line who's using their 437 coupons or whose milk carton's leaking or whatever, you know? So I just, you know, it, to me, it makes, makes me feel better to do that. But what happens when you wait? Am I the only person that, that, that gets frustrated, that feels like my, my blood pressure is going up at that point? Okay, good. And why is it? Why are, we, why are we frustrated? It's because we want to be in control. And at that point, we can't be. We have no say over it at all. So with all that in mind, I want you to think back to when Jesus was giving his final departing words to his disciples. Acts 1, beginning in verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So think about this. Just kind of, You guys know my overactive imagination. Play along with me. I'm one of Jesus' original disciples. I'm sitting there. I'm listening to him. And he says, wait here for the Holy Spirit. In my mind, I'm going, wait? Are you serious? Wait? You have prepared us, Jesus. You're the one that said the fields are white unto harvest. It is not time to wait. It's time to go. Right? And Jesus said, wait. He, he, didn't, he didn't tell them, go ahead and get started and Holy Spirit will come and join you. He said, wait, and, and think about it. Jesus had just recently risen from the dead. They knew at that point, all this stuff is true. This is real. This is amazing. I mean, he had sent them out earlier. Remember when he sent out the 12? He also sent out the 70. The 12 were probably involved in that. They were clearly more ready now to go than they were back then. And Jesus says, wait, what? 
Jesus is clearly establishing here that the absolute, the absolute necessity of being dependent on the Holy Spirit. Don't just go. Don't just go and do the things that I've taught you. Wait for Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you. What about you, but I found that the Holy Spirit seems to have his own timetable. I mean, you see that over and over in the book of Acts. Anybody else found that to be true in life? John Wimber, you probably know he was the founder of the Vineyard Churches. If you've ever read or heard his testimony, you know that there was a, what he saw was a huge disparity between what he saw in scripture of the Holy Spirit moving and what he saw in his own life. And so he began to cry out to God. Lord, you said this should be happening and it's not. But there was a really long time between the time that John started to cry out and those miracles started happening. But he kept asking, he kept seeking. Alan Craft, in that book that I mentioned earlier, he says, the spirit waits to be wanted. I think he's right. He's not gonna gonna force himself on us, if you will. I think he wants us to be sure that we really want him, honestly. Luke 11, beginning in verse nine, I will tell you, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. We, we know that those, those Greek verbs there are in the continuing process. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give a, instead of a fish, give him a serpent or ask for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So if you understand the context here, this is not just asking for anything. There is another place where Jesus uses similar language where he talks about that, all right? But this one here, very clearly in context, he's talking about asking for the Holy Spirit. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is encouraging his disciples to ask for the Holy Spirit, and not just once, but to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You know, when our kids were, were younger, they had, when they had reached an age where they had their own money that they could do things with, we, even at that point, we made them wait 30 days before they were allowed to buy something on their own. They had to, oh my goodness, they had to, they had to think about it um, for that long before they were allowed to get it. And the reason was because we don't want them walking into Walmart with a dollar in their pocket and find something for 92 cents that they just happen to be able to afford. Oh, that's kind of cool. I think I'll get that. We wanted them to think about their, their purchase. Think about, is this something you really want? The, the vast majority of times, after a week, they never even thought about it again. True. But if Not your baseball cards. All right, Steve, thanks. Um, but, but if they're still thinking about it, two, three, four weeks later, there's a good chance they probably really want this thing. Are you with me? That was a parenting lesson along with the sermon illustration. So I think the I think Holy Spirit wants us to be sure. We don't, we don't have to convince him. He knows our hearts better than we do. He does. But he wants us to be sure that we really, really want him. Let me come at this from a little different angle. Have you ever been waiting 
or known somebody else that was waiting for the results from some sort of medical test or something like that? What happens? There can be some anxiety going on there. And because of the reason that, that those things go on on the inside of us is because what are we doing? We're waiting for somebody else. We're not in control of that situation. And if we look at that whole idea from the perspective of, of, of what we're talking about here, the Holy Spirit, that in the waiting, we, we recognize our own need, then that waiting honestly can be a good thing. I'm not calling the shots here. I'm dependent on somebody else. And that's not a bad place for us to be if the person that we're dependent on is Holy Spirit. As we wait, we, I think we begin to see more clearly our desperate need for him. Someone said that we occasionally ask for Holy Spirit's help, but we're not really dependent on him. I'm guilty. It seems to me that Holy Spirit likes to push us out of our comfort zones. Over and over, we see that happen. Just me? Okay, oh, Okay, that was the, 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 the silence was agreement. All right, I just want to make sure that I got that. Okay. Based on that experience, I've seen, and you see, you see it in the Bible. I mean, look at the book of Acts. You see them pushing people out of their comfort zones. I would say that if you're, if you're comfortable, maybe you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. That's not an emphatic statement. Just maybe. Jesus made it very clear that the Holy Spirit would be given to those who are truly thirsty for him. John chapter seven. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. You and I need that dimension of the Holy Spirit, of of rivers of living water flowing out of us more fully, more completely establishing his kingdom here on earth as a result of his work through us. But that doesn't happen automatically. It comes to those who are thirsty, those who recognize their need, those who, who aren't in control of their own lives, if you will, those who are willing to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Are we that serious? Are we that thirsty? Let me ask you this. What would happen if you were never thirsty again? Something went wrong on the inside of your brain and all of a sudden your thirst mechanism was just shut off. What would happen? Yeah, I'd probably end up dehydrated because you don't realize that you need water. See, I think that when Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, What he's really saying there is you probably don't even know you have a need, but if you do recognize that you have a need, I've got something that can quench that thirst for you, Holy Spirit. But it means that we give up control. Those original disciples had to wait. We don't have to wait like they do in the same way that they did, but we do have to be willing to relinquish control. Holy Spirit, I'm not running this show. I'm trusting you. story from that book by Alan Craft. He said this, the moment our fourth child was born, we knew something was terribly wrong. 
Joshua just lay there listless and unresponsive. He didn't cry. His skin looked different than our other children at birth. The nurses immediately took him to a special unit for oxygen and further testing. That began a journey for our family that none of us would have asked for, and yet we regularly thank God for. It has been a journey of profound weakness and difficulty. We have seen dozens of medical specialists, tried numerous diets and supplements, read countless books, prayed for healing thousands of times, cried lots of tears, asked God hundreds of questions, felt incredibly helpless and out of control, all the while hoping for a dramatic healing in Josh. Now 13 years old, Josh has significant cognitive, verbal, and physical delays. These bring to our daily lives challenges as well as many questions about the future. When my wife Raylene and I look at the past 13 years through the lens of personal convenience or successfully finding answers, the view looks fairly bleak. But when we look through the lens of the Spirit, the entire view changes. Both of us can attest that the profound weakness we have felt in trying to help Joshua has resulted in a deepening friendship with the Spirit. We share an intimacy in prayer and a spiritual attentiveness to the Spirit's voice that didn't exist before Joshua. Now please understand, I am not suggesting that God brought that physical issue onto Joshua or that family. No, that is not the case. But God is working through that situation. Are you following me? God works all things together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Daryl, in a recent sermon, he said, it's too easy to have a heart like Martha's. I think he's right. We, we, we like to be doing. We like to be in control. We like to be making things happen. Mary just sat at the Lord's feet. Apostle Paul said, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. Not when... Not when I'm in control. Not when I've got everything all figured out. It's when we're relying on the Holy Spirit. See, when we rely on our own abilities, even our own giftedness, we're not really thirsty. We're saying, I can do this. We can be, we can be dehydrated and not even realize it. And sometimes I think that's why we experience challenges in life. It's to force us to come face to face with the Lord again. Cause us to admit that we're needy. Holy Spirit, I need you. Without you, I can't do this stuff. I trust you. Do you trust him today? Are, are you waiting on him? Are you seeking him? Giving up control? He wants to bring his kingdom more fully, more completely through us, but we have to be serious about it. And I understand it's his grace that allows us even to do that. I get that. But at the same time, we do need to be serious. We need to seek him. Willingly, intentionally seek him and ask him, yield to him. Holy Spirit, would you come and invade our hearts again here this morning? Cause us to trust you more fully, more completely. Cause our focus to be more on you and, and our, our hearts to be more aligned with you. 
that we might indeed be led by you to bring your kingdom more fully, more completely here on earth. We trust you to do that. Amen.